God the glory this morning. Amen. You may be seated. We gather this morning so that Christ might be magnified. That is our desire and why we are here. Man, is it not a beautiful day outside? Man, what a beautiful day. This is perfect weather in my mind. Not cold, not hot. Sun is shining. Just a beautiful day. And and we're here to gather and, and to magnify the one who creates and sustains and the one who has given us all of this beauty that we see around us. Well, good morning. Welcome to Northside Baptist Church. If this is your first time with us, we are delighted to have you. Uh, we're thrilled that you're with us. You are our guest, and we want to just honor you and encourage you and help you in any way that we can. We pray that the service will be a blessing to you, uh, that you'll see our love for Jesus, our love for one another, um, and that we just want you to be a part of that. We want you to find a home where you can know Jesus uh, where you can become a disciple who makes disciples, right? who believes in Jesus Christ, who belongs to the family of God, who becomes more like Christ, and who seeks to live his life as a blessing to his neighbor and his family. If this is your first time with us, inside the bulletin's a place for you to fill out some information about yourself. You can fill that out and put that um, in the box there in the foyer. Uh, we would greatly appreciate that. I don't, I don't want to embarrass anybody this morning, but if you read your bulletin last week, raise your hand. Uh, look, every hand should have gone up. Remember, I, I, I urged you last week, read the bulletin. Somebody on the way out told somebody else, man, I kind of feel guilty now. i got to read the, the bulletin, right? Um, there's a lot of information in there, so I'm going to quickly go over some things. There will be no activities tonight or Wednesday night of this week, so uh, spend some time with your family. Uh, Wednesday night, spend some time in prayer and in God's Word at your home. Maybe do a family devotion time. Promotion Sunday. So today was the last day... For those of you who are promoting, moving up to a new class, today was the last day in your old class. Next week, you will go to your new class, and in church next Sunday, we're going to recognize those who actually moved up into a new class. Um, on August 8th, we're having an NBC's Got Talent. Next Sunday night at 5.30, before our international food night, we're going to have a meeting about that night. So if you have a talent, you like to sing, or drama, or rap, or... I don't know, tell funny jokes. I don't know whatever your talent may be. Uh, you need to come next Sunday night at 5.30 so we can talk about that and begin to work uh, through a schedule for that night. Next Sunday night, we're having our annual International Food Fellowship. The instructions are there in the bulletin. We hope you'll come. We want you to bring your favorite dish from another country. We want you to do a little bit of research, if you can, about that country. There's a couple um, websites that you can go to to learn just what, what percent of the population is a Christian? How can we pray for that country? If you visited that country, maybe what did you see? Um, any, anything along those lines. Uh, Children's Church, I forget to make this announcement most weeks. So if you're with us for the first time and you have kids second grade or under, um, during the song, We Have Heard the Joyful Sound, our kids are going to make their way out into the fellowship hall. And so that's when you will go to Children's Church if you are second grade um, and under. One more announcement. You'll notice the summer events for June. On June 13th, there's a Sunday school class fellowship. Now look, your class doesn't have to do a fellowship on that Sunday night. We're just encouraging you to get together at some point with your Sunday school class. If that night works, that's awesome. If not, pick a different night. But the only thing we're going to do on that Sunday night or that weekend as it relates to that is to give you an opportunity to gather with your Sunday school class, wherever that may be, whatever that may look like. 
um, and, and just to hang out. So, so you guys know tomorrow is um, Memorial Day. Memorial Day for a lot of people today has become just a day off, uh, a day to celebrate. For some, it marks the beginning of summer. For some, it's when your community pool may open or you open your own pool. And, and we've kind of lost sight of what Memorial Day is, is all about. And so I've got a video we're going to show in just a second. And after that, we're just going to spend a few minutes praying together, um, just remembering and being grateful uh, for the sacrifice of so many so that you and I can have the freedoms that we have today. So Tripp's going to play a video. God, in, in just a moment, we're going to sing together a patriotic song, America the Beautiful. Father, I, I just pray that you would help us to, to have a right amount of love and respect for this country, while at the same time recognizing that this country, as much as we love it and are thankful for it, is not our ultimate home. As we're going to see this morning, Ruth was a foreigner from Moab heading into Bethlehem. Father, every single one of us this morning is, if we believe in Jesus Christ, we are sojourners, we are foreigners. This is not our ultimate home. But yet, this is where we are right now, and, it's, and we're here, God, by your grace. So we want to take just a moment this morning to say thank you for that. Father, we gather here at 10.30 in a public place where everyone can see and can drive by, and we do so with, with the freedom to do that. We're not having to hide. We're not having to do so in secret. The front doors are unlocked. Anyone can come in. We're not ashamed of that. Father, the reason we can do that here and why many of our brothers and sisters in Christ and other parts of the country cannot is ultimately because of your grace and mercy, but it's also in large part because of the men and women in this room who have fought for these freedoms and fought for this country. And largely, Father, in part because of the men and women who are not in this room, 
who might be in this room, Father, had they not given their life in service to this country and to their God. So, Father, we pray for those family members. For some, maybe they lost that person last week or 25 years ago, but yet it's still painful. And so tomorrow, while many people will celebrate and swim and have a day off and go on about their life as though nothing is different, for them, Lord, it'll be a day of, of great heartache and pain. Lord, we pray for comfort. We pray for strength. We pray for those who are currently serving. Father, we pray, God, that your peace would so invade every country, Lord, that our men and women could come home, that there wouldn't be a need for them anymore because there was just peace among all nations and all peoples. Father, we look forward to the day when we are in your presence and there is no more war, there is no more death, there is no more pain or sadness or loss of life. Father, our country is in a, in a place of, of hurting. It's in a place of deep division, of so much anger. Lord, may your church just be a light in the midst of this darkness. May we be a people who take a stand for Jesus Christ. Because Jesus, you're the only hope. Republican and Democrat can't save this country. Lord, our, our beliefs and where we stand can't change this country if they're not based upon Jesus Christ. Because Jesus, only you can change the heart. And unless you change the heart, nothing else changes. So, Father, as we sing America the Beautiful, may we just be mindful, God, this morning of your grace and mercy, but may we also be mindful of the ultimate sacrifice, which was your Son, Jesus Christ, who laid down his life so that we might have life. And so as we sing, God, even in this patriotic song, would you receive the glory and the honor? And we ask all this in the name of Jesus Amen. Would you stand and let's sing together.
seated. completed in you don't you see he did all this 
standing, if you will, and take uh, your copy of God's Word and turn to the book of Ruth. 
Ruth chapter 2. We're going to study this morning verses 1 through 13, but I'm just going to read verses 12 through 13 right now. We're going to look at all 13 verses. And this is the word of the Lord. Ruth chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel under whose wing you have come to take refuge. And then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. You may be seated. So Malachi and I were having a conversation on Friday. I said, Malachi, you have to promise me something. He said, all right, Dad, what is it? I said, that you will never get too big to give me a hug. So you have to promise me you'll never get too big to give me a hug. He said, okay, Dad. I said, no, Malachi, I'm serious. When you're 10 years old, you still got to be able to hug your dad. He said, okay, Dad. I said, when you're 16, you still got to hug your dad, okay? He said, okay. I said, Malachi, when you get married, you have to promise you're still going to give your dad a hug. And he paused. He looked at me very intently. And in a very serious voice, he said, Dad, I'm never getting married. I'm living with you forever. And then we hugged. So Malachi may never get married. He may be the kid who lives in his mom and dad's basement, though we don't have a basement for the rest of his life. Malachi may never get married, but in the book of Ruth... As we come to chapter 2, things are about to change. Love is soon to be in the air. And I mentioned, right, this is a story of, of love, right, of hope, of redemption. This is a story. It reads as a story. And so instead of having like three points for you this morning, I just want to go through these verses because it's a story. Let the story tell itself. And as we go, in each verse, highlight one or two things that I want you to to notice. So um, let's begin in verse 1. And here's what I want you to notice in verse 1. We have a new character in the story. We are introduced to a new character. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. So what do we know about this new character that is introduced into the story? Well, we know his name is Boaz. It's always good to have a name. His name is Boaz. We also know, the author tells us right up front, that Boaz is a relative of Elimelech, Naomi's deceased husband. That's really important when we're introduced to this idea called the kinsman redeemer. So he's a relative of Elimelech, of Naomi, uh, through her husband Elimelech. And we also know the ESV uses the word worthy. He's a worthy man. Now this Hebrew could be translated and mean several different things. It could refer to wealth. That's not how it's translated here, but it could be wealth. It could also refer to someone's might. So, right, in, in the book of Judges, we might read of a, a mighty man of valor. But in, in this case, the ESV translates it worthy, speaking to his character. And it could be Boaz was all three. That he was a wealthy man, a man of means. Uh, he was a, a mighty man, though not a warrior, still had strength, and that he was a man of character. Now, let me ask you a question. Who's the main character in the story of Ruth? Some would argue it's Naomi, 
right? She, she's front and center at the beginning. Others would argue the main character is Ruth. After all, the book is named after her. She's the main character. Some would argue Boaz is the main character, that he becomes front and center in chapter 2, 3, and even in chapter 4. I would submit to you none of them are the main character, that the main character is God himself. And so as we see the story unfold before us, I just want you to see God all throughout what is about to happen. Second verse, I want you to notice the word favor. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. So who is Ruth? Well, Ruth is a widow. Her husband has died. Ruth is poor. Her and Naomi do not have much. And we also know the author is intentional. I mentioned it last week that Ruth is a what? Moabite. She's a foreigner. The author intentionally draws us into that. So think about it. In this culture, in this day, a widow who is poor and who is a foreigner, who is about to go out into someone else's field and try to bring home some food for the day. So what does Ruth need? She needs someone to show her favor. She needs someone to show her grace. And this is why, right, Ruth is dependent upon someone showing her favor and grace. Now, God, in his providence, when you go back into to reading the law, has designed a means, a way, for those who were poor, the destitute, the foreigners, to be able to have a means by which they could eat. And so when Ruth, it says, sets out to glean among the ears of the grain, right, she is doing so based upon uh, the, the Levitical law. So Leviticus 23, 22 says this, and when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. So God in his law tells the landowners, listen, when you're going to get the harvest and you're reaping, you can't get the corners of the field. Why? Why could they not get the corners? Nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. So if you come through to gather, you can't come back through a second time. If you leave something behind, if you drop something, you have to leave it. Why? This is why. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord, your God. Let me say two things about this. And I could, we could spend hours talking about this, but let me just say two things. Number one, God gave the harvest, therefore he tells the people what they're to do with it. I'm sure some would have objected to this idea. Wait a minute, God, I've worked hard. This whole field belongs to me. Why can't I get the corners? Why can't I go back a second time? But God in his grace is providing a means for the poor people to be able to eat. And so he tells the landowners, I'm the one giving you the harvest, and I'm going to tell you what you are to do with it. Here's the second thing I want to say to you, and that is this. This was Israel's welfare system. This is the way God provided for the poor. But notice, their welfare system is much different than ours. This wasn't about handouts. This wasn't Ruth coming to the fields and men and women just lining up with baskets saying, here, take what you want. They had to go work for it. It was hot. It would have been hard. God provides the means. He tells the landowners what they can and can't do, but then he tells others, hey, if you don't have a means for food, this is what you can do. They'll leave it for you. You must come and get it. God in his grace provides our needs. Deuteronomy 10, 18 says, He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. He loves the sojourner. What was Ruth? A widow and a sojourner. 
She meets two of these three classifications here. Giving him food and clothing. Church, hear me. We are called to love on people. We are called to serve people. We are called to help people and meet their needs. This is important work. You are the hands and the feet of Jesus. You show compassion upon people when they've fallen upon hard times and you meet their needs. This is important work. But hear me, we don't just stop with their physical needs because our greatest need is spiritual. And what we don't want to happen is we don't want in our effort to meet physical needs to enable or encourage laziness among people. Young folks, hear me. If you will develop right now a work ethic that says, whatever I have to do, I'm willing to do. I'm not looking for $15 an hour, though that would be nice. I just want to work hard. If you will develop a hard work ethic, you will be miles ahead of most people your age who have no work ethic. Now listen, our job is to help people. So we want to meet needs. If people are hungry, we want to give them food. If they're naked, they need clothes, we want to be willing to do that. We want to be willing to provide housing for them. But we understand, though that is important work, ultimately their greatest need is spiritual. And so our church has done some work with bridging the gap. And I got to go before COVID right down there, and we served one Saturday morning, and I was able to take a tour and and look around. And what I love about bridging the gap is I love their vision. Bridging the Gap's vision is this. I looked on their website. Helps to feed, serve, and restore people in our community. They're feeding people. They're feeding lots of people. It's good work, but they understand it's not just about feeding them. It's about serving them. It's about listening to their story and seeking to understand them. And how did they get in this position? Because some people get there not because of laziness. Some of you have been there. You've fallen on hard times. Medical bills, whatever, maybe lost your job and it got really hard to make ends meet. But then they want to restore people. They want to restore them. They want to share Jesus with them. They want to love on them. That's what it's about. It's about meeting the whole person. And so we have, church, hear me, we have a responsibility, I believe, to care for the poor and the hungry. And I believe we have a responsibility to care for the foreigner and for the immigrants And we can talk about what that looks like and and how that should work, understanding that what we believe as Christians is going to be the exact opposite of what a secular world may believe. But it is our responsibility to care for them. God told Israel to care for the people. We are to care for people. So here's Ruth, setting out in hopes of finding some grain, finding a field, finding someone, anyone who will show her favor. And then we come to verse 3, and I love it. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. I want you to focus on the word happened. It says she sets out looking for someone to show her favor, looking for a field, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to who? Boaz. Oh, who's Boaz? Oh, we just read about him. Oh, yeah, he's related to Elimelech. This is phenomenal. The NIV says, as it turned out. Let me ask you a question. You believe in luck? You believe in coincidence, happenstance, chance? Here's what we would say. As luck would have it, Ruth winds up in Boaz's field. Now, the wording here at first glance may appear nothing more than luck. She just happened. That's what you would use if you're talking about luck. But I think the author is being intentional. 
And, and they use the word happened to draw you in because what they really want you to understand is she doesn't wind up in this field by chance, but rather this is the divine act and work of God. It's not random that Ruth winds up in the field of Boaz. Hear me. Nothing happens by accident in the kingdom of God. Can I get an amen? amen. Nothing happens by accident in the kingdom of God. Everything happens for a purpose and a reason. I want you to notice all that God is doing and how he is working to bring this story to its conclusion by chapter 4. God is all over the story of Ruth. Proverbs 16.9 says this, A person's heart plans his way, but the Lord determines his steps. Listen, Ruth doesn't show up in this field by accident. There are not accidents. There are not accidents in the kingdom of God. This is a divine appointment. Ruth chose this field. Yes, free will, free choice. God didn't pick her up like a robot and put her in this field. Ruth chose this field, but God directed her steps and her heart. I believe it was God who directed her to this field. And hear me, he does the same for us. We have a decision we have to make, so we pray about it. We maybe read God's word about it. You should, right? We pray, we seek his face, then we make decisions. And sometimes we make the wrong decisions. But I believe while we're praying and while we're reading and while we're seeking and while we're making those decisions, if we seek to honor the Lord in that and not do what we want to do, I believe God orders events and he guides. See, here's what I believe. I believe God is so sovereign that he actually even is ruling over your desires. So when you make a certain decision and you look back and you say, why was that decision made? It's because God is even sovereign over desires. Let's go back to my goober story. If it wasn't clear to you, it was the pastor search committee that put together that gift basket. One person in particular, and I can tell you who it was, but she would even tell you. She has no idea why she put goobers in the basket. I know why. Because I believe God governs desires of people and even will lead us in certain ways to do certain things because that's what he does. He has done it over and over and over again. So it's not by accident that she's here. It's by purpose. So we continue. Verse 4. I love the story. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. I want you to focus in on the Lord. The Lord. And I want you to notice the God-centeredness of Boaz. How does Boaz greet his workers? The Lord be with you. Wouldn't that be wonderful if all of your bosses greeted you that way? They just love the Lord so much when you came in, the Lord be with you, good morning, right? And, and the Lord bless you, and that's how you interacted with one another. This is how Boaz lives his life, and this isn't just talk. Boaz isn't one of those guys trying to be super spiritual, using godly language just to look good. Examine his life, see how he treats Ruth. We're going to see that in just a moment. This is genuine. This is who he is. He has a big heart. And next week, when we come back and finish out chapter 2, what we're going to specifically look at is how Boaz is pointing us to Jesus. But for our sake this morning, I just want you to notice the God-centeredness of Boaz. Right? Boaz honors the Lord in his work and is respected by his workers. He is such an honorable man that when he says the Lord be with you, which again is Exodus, God said he'd be with us, the response is the Lord bless you. Now check this out. In a time in which the judges ruled, 
That's what verse 1 of chapter 1 tells us. And the people did what was right in their own eyes. Boaz stands out as a man who loves God and seeks to obey the law and the word of God. He's a godly man. Ladies, gentlemen, will we stick out in a godless world in which everyone is doing whatever is right in their own eyes? Will we stick out at work, in our families, in the grocery stores, when we're getting gas? Will we, in the hospital, will we look different? Saying, look, we believe in the Lord our God, and it is evident in our life. We continue, verses 5 through 7. Here's what I want you to notice. Boaz notices Ruth. Boaz notices Ruth. Verse 5. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now except for a short rest. This is love at first sight. Boaz notices Ruth and is immediately intrigued and interested. Maybe that's your story. That's my parents' story. They were at Eastern Kentucky University. My dad went to a, um, a BSU event, I believe it was. My mom, who has an amazing voice, was singing Oh Holy Night. My dad heard her, and my dad thought, I'm going to marry her. And they got married. Praise God for his provision, right? This is love at first sight. Now, I want you to see God's hand at work here, and I want you to notice God is always right on time. God is never early. He's never late. He's always right on time. Now listen, Ruth could have gone to a different field, but she doesn't. She finds her way to Boaz's field. Ruth could have been exhausted and said, look, I'm going home early. Ruth could have been in a shelter somewhere seeking shade and not been around when Boaz showed up. Ruth could have been gone and they never would have met. Boaz could have decided, well, I'm not going to go to the field today. And he would have missed out on meeting Ruth. Or Boaz could have showed up before Ruth got there or after Ruth left. None of that happens. Ruth and Boaz find themselves in the same field at the same time so God can bring them together. We find out later in this chapter that Boaz is a kinsman redeemer. Ruth has no idea of that yet, right? And we're about to see how kind and gracious he is. So we continue verses 8 and 9. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. This is the first time they interact. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Listen, I don't, I don't want you to miss this. What did Ruth need when she set out to the field on this particular day? What was her greatest need? We're going to talk about some of her specific needs in a moment, but what was her greatest need? See, I believe her greatest need was this. She needed a generous, God-fearing landowner to show her favor. She could have went to a field of a man who was not generous. A man who said, look, I don't care what the law says. This is my field. You're not welcome to eat at the corners of my field. Look, this is the day of the judges when everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. Don't think for a second every landowner was a God-fearing man at this time. 
She needed someone who was generous. She could have went to a field and the man could have said, listen, you're a widow and a foreigner and you're poor. You're not welcome here. She needed a generous, God-fearing landowner to care for her. And so what does God provide? A generous, God-fearing landowner who cares about Ruth and he meets Ruth's needs through Boaz. So check this out. God meets the ultimate need, the generous, God-fearing landowner. And then he uses Boaz to meet the needs of Ruth. Church, hear me. God is going to be the one who ultimately provides for your needs and the needs of the people in your community and in your, in your area, your neighborhood, your family, your workplace. But you know what God wants to do? He wants to use you to meet those needs. He wants to use your gifts and your resources. You're their next door neighbor for a reason. You work next to them for a reason. He wants to use you. He's ultimately going to be the one that does it, but he wants to use you so that he can meet their needs. He wants us to be faithful, to live with our eyes open, to be aware of those needs. And so this is what Boaz does. He meets her need for provision. Look how gracious he is. Verse 8, then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one. Look at this, but keep close to my young women. He could have just said, listen, lady, you're welcome here. Get the corners of the field, whatever you need to do. Have a good day. But he says, no, listen, Ruth, stay close to my women. They know where to go. They, they know what, what corners to look in. Just stick close to them. As they're walking through the field, just stay close to them. You're welcome to whatever they have. It's yours. How generous he is. But then he continues if you drop down to verse 9. When you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. But can you imagine being poor, a widow, and a foreigner on a field where you don't know anybody trying to get some water? Probably not the easiest thing to do. So what's Boaz say? Hey, listen, don't worry about drawing water. My young men will draw the water. You just go up and get you a drink. What? Are you kidding me? I can't imagine how overwhelmed she must have been with his generosity. So he meets her need for provision. But then look at this. He meets her need for protection. He says, let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? Again, they're living in the day of judges. They're living in a day of wicked godless Israelites who should have loved the Lord Jesus or should have loved God but did not. Boaz noticed Ruth. You think any other men took notice? Probably. And not all of those men would have been as generous and gracious to her. So what does Boaz say? Ruth, you're safe here. You're welcome here. You don't got anything to worry about. I'll make sure I take care of you. And so what does Ruth do? She trusts in the promise of Boaz. And look how she responds. Ruth responds with gratitude and humility. Verse 10 says this, Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? What did Ruth need when she set out, verse 2? Favor. What does she say here in verse 10 or verse 11? Verse 10, why have I found favor in your eyes? That you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner. Verse 13, then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one 
of your servants. Ruth falls on her face, bowing before Boaz, and says, Why have you shown me favor? Warren Wearsby writes, Ruth neither looked back at her tragic past, nor did she look at herself and consider her sorry plight. She fell at the feet of the master and submitted herself to him. She looked away from her poverty and focused on his riches. She forgot her fears and she rested on Boaz's promises. What an example for God's people today to follow. Look, your temptation today may be to say, woe is me. To look at your plot, to look at your circumstances, to look at your life, that which you're lacking, and just to say, woe is me. To begin to feel sorry for yourself. Ruth could have done that. She could have looked inwards. She could have looked backwards. Right? She could have resisted the favor of Boaz, but instead she submits. I want to submit to you this morning that God the Father does the same for you. Just as Boaz met the needs of Ruth, so God meets our needs. Needs, And what are you to do? You're simply to bow before him. You're to fall down before him, not trusting in your wealth or your riches, but trusting in the riches of Christ. Not trusting in your abilities, but trusting in the, the, the power of Christ. Right? Bow before the Father. Whatever is going on in your life, whatever you may not understand, and simply just say, God, As Ruth trusted in the promise of Boaz, so I am trusting in you and your promise. I'm trusting in you, Father. Whatever you're doing, I'm going to trust you. Warren Wearsby goes on to write this, and I really like this. He says, before God changes our circumstances, he wants to change our hearts. If our circumstances change for the better, but we remain the same, then we will become worse. God's purpose, this is really good, God's purpose and providence is not to make us comfortable, but to make us conformable. Conformed to the image of his son. Christ-like character is the divine goal for each of his children. Look, I'm a, I'm a product of the, the 90s and the 2000s, and here we are, 2021. I like comfort. I mean, we live in a, in a world where you can be comfortable and have all that you need and life is just easy. I like to be comfortable in the Christian life. Sometimes we want things to be comfortable, but hear me, God is not ultimately concerned about you being comfortable. He's primarily concerned about you being conformable, being conformed into the image of his son. The very one who came, took on flesh, lived a perfect, sinless life, was nailed to the cross, and on the third day, praise God, the choir sang about rose from the dead, is ascended to the right hand of God the Father, ruling and reigning right now, sent the Spirit of God to live inside of us as believers to conform us and transform us into the image of his Son. See, God is not only all over the story of Ruth, but he's at work in her life. He's at work in Boaz's life, and I believe he's at work in your life right now, conforming you into the image of his son. How conformable are you right now? Are you just trusting in him to say, God, change me, change me right now? Let me point out one last thing, and that is this. Ruth finds refuge in the Lord her God. Verse 11 and 12, but Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law. So see, Boaz has heard 
about Ruth and her loyalty to Naomi. All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord. Now look at this. The God of Israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Ruth finds refuge in the Lord her God. Block in his commentary writes this. He imagines Yahweh as a mother bird who offers her wings for the protection of her defenseless young. Right? A mother bird is going to protect her little ones in a much greater way. Our father protects his own. He protects his children. He covers us with his wings. He, he puts us in the palm of his hand. He protects us. We can rest in his promises. Ian DeGuide writes this, The one who came seeking Israel's God, right, Ruth, the one who came seeking Israel's God had for the first time been made to feel that there might be a place for her among the followers of God. I love that observation. She came to a people that were not her people, willing to pledge her allegiance to their God. And she finds a God-fearing man who models for her what it looks like to love the Lord, his God. Church, there are people in our world that I believe God is working in their hearts, drawing them to himself. They are lost. They're unbelievers. They are broken. Some of them don't want anything to do with God yet. Some of them have begun to take those steps. They're, they're thinking, they're seeking, they're reading God's word. And God is going to bring that individual into your life. What kind of Jesus will they see in you? Will they see a Jesus that, that makes them want to follow him? That says, this is who Jesus is. I want to be like this Jesus. I want to believe in this Jesus. This person is loving me as Jesus tells them to love his neighbor. Will we point them to Christ? Let me ask you again. Who's the main character in the story of Ruth? See, I believe it's God. Let me ask you this question. Who's the main character in your story? Who's the main character in your life? I love Romans chapter 11, 33 through 36. It says, Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he could be his counselor, or who has, been, who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? And then it says this, For from him... And through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory. God wants the glory out of the story of Ruth. God wants the glory in your own life. Abraham Kuyper writes this, There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine. There is not an inch, a verse, a part of this story in the book of Ruth that God is not saying, that's mine. That's my work. I'm doing this. And there is not an inch in all of the world, though it may not appear that way, there is not an inch in the whole domain of human existence in your life that at this moment, Christ does not say, that's mine. That belongs to me. I'm in control of that. I've got this. Trust me. Every square inch 
belong to the Lord our God? Will we live as though we believe that? One more quote, this one from Charles Simeon. He said this to his congregation. He said, what is before us we know not, whether we shall live or die, but this we know, that all things are ordered and sure. Everything is ordered with unerring wisdom and unbounded love by thee, our God, who art love. Grant us in all things to see thy hand through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Do you see the hand of God in your life? How is the hand of God transforming your life? How is the hand of God using your life to be a blessing to others as Boaz was a blessing to Ruth? How is God using you to step out in faith as Ruth just had to step out in faith, trusting in the favor of God? How are you stepping out in faith? And do you believe this morning that everything in your life, Jesus Christ right now says, that's mine. I'm ruling. I'm reigning. You may not understand, but just bow on your knees, fall on your face, and trust in my goodness and trust in my promises and let me work out the story. And as I work out the story, you be quick to give me all the glory. Would you close your eyes and bow your head? Father, I pray right now that you would just speak to your people. Anyone that doesn't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of their life, we're going we're gonna to focus in more on, on Jesus next week. Father, but who doesn't know Jesus as Lord and Savior of their life. They never repented of their sin. They've never turned from their wicked ways. They've never believed in their heart that God raised him from the dead. They never confessed with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. Oh God, right now, may today be a day of salvation. Someone who's struggling, someone who is doubting, someone who is uncertain, someone who is angry, whatever it may be, someone who is far from you. Spirit of God, convict them. Bring them to a place of repentance and a place of faith in Jesus. You brought them here for this moment, God. They're watching online for this moment. Nothing is by accident. You, you drew them to this moment. Now, Spirit of God, save them from themselves. Rescue them from their sin. Rescue them from hell. But, oh God, they must repent. They must believe. They must confess right now, Jesus, you are Lord. I am no longer Lord. You take control of my life. Father, for those of us as believers living in a pagan, godless world where there is so much division, so much immorality, and more and more people walking away from their faith or saying they don't believe in a God, help us to be. Help us to be like Ruth, stepping out in faith and asking you, God, just to show us your grace and your favor as we seek to follow you. Help us to be like Boaz. Help us to be men and women who are worthy. Worthy of the calling to which we've been called. Men and women who understand, Jesus, that you alone have rescued us, and we want to be that light, and we want to be that salt. That we understand, Father, there are people who are in need like Ruth. And God, only you can ultimately meet those needs. But this week, this month, you want to use us. God, this afternoon at the restaurant or maybe at the park or at the grocery store, wherever we go, Father, there are people around us who don't know you, Jesus. Oh, God, will you give us an opportunity? Would you so divinely orchestrate events 
that it is clear to us that it is not an accident, but it is a divine appointment. And then, oh God, will you give us the boldness to speak up, to ask the right question, to say the right words, to pray with them. Lord, whatever you may do. And God, help us this week as we remember, as we think, Father, upon all that's going on and as we have Memorial Day tomorrow. God, will you just help us to be a people who are grateful and humble and who just remember, God, your provision and your grace in our life. Father, you are. You are the solid rock upon which we stand. And may we declare that right now in word, that you are Christ, the solid rock. And we give you all the praise and the glory and the honor for that. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to sing some verses of the solid rock. The, the, the altar's open if you want to come and pray. If you need me to pray with you, I'll be here at the front. You respond as we sing the solid rock. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. When darkness seems to hide his face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil on Christ the solid rock I stand all other ground is sinking sand all other ground is sinking sand all right if you'll remain standing Carrie Beard is the deacon of the week so he's going to come while he's coming just uh, let me remind you no activities tonight no activities Wednesday also, let me remind our youth girls that this Friday, June 4th, from 6 to 9 p.m. at our house, uh, we're having a pizza in pajamas. So for girls, uh, 6th grade through 12th grade, uh, Landon, Malachi, and I will be somewhere else. We will not be hanging out with you girls. I'll be there to say hello, and then, and then we're out. So just an opportunity for Ryan to get to know uh, some of you better, just to hang out. So that's this Friday from 6 to 9 p.m. Carrie, if you'll close us with a word of prayer. Would you pray with me? Let's thank God for this great country, even with all the stuff that's going on. Thank him for saving us from our sins. Just pray with me. Dear Lord, I thank you today that you loved us so much that you sent your son to die on a cruel cross so we could be forgiven. I just ask that you guide us in the way we need to go. Give us the wisdom and the strength and the courage to stand firm on our faith and to be more like you. Give us the strength that we need. We thank you for everything you have done. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.